0: One of the tools Jesus used as he taught was storytelling, but many of those stories weren't easily understood. Why was Jesus so cryptic? Welcome to Word for the Week, season three, episode one, as we discuss the parables of Jesus and how to comprehend what he's really saying.
1: So Kathy, I was trying to uh, come up with an example of something that um, most people hadn't experienced and so i came up with this gem
0: okay <laughs> okay are you
1: ready for this imagine you not neil armstrong was the first person on the moon and there you are you're coming down the ladder at 16.6 percent earth gravity i know because i googled it you're almost <laughs> floating and then you look down at your feet, and there they are the very first human footprints in that fine <laughs> lunar dust. And then you look off to the horizon, and there you see Earth, and it's smaller and further away than any human being has ever seen it in history.
0: That's pretty intense.
1: It sounds very <laughs> intense. Now um, now we'll continue with the story. You, okay. you, you return to Earth safely, mm-hmm. and And people start asking you, can you describe the experience of what you just went through? So how how can you imagine yourself putting that?
0: Well, I might say it's like seeing everything from a very, looking at Earth from a very, very high mountain, maybe.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's like looking from a high mountain. What else might you say that's a good opener? Is there any other (laughs) ways you might put it?
0: I might say how... Lonely it felt, even even though it was exciting okay. at the same time. Or, right. or how peaceful the Earth looked from so far away.
1: Yeah, and, and if you look at these these ways, I think everybody would would tend to lean the way you were talking there. The first is allegory. You said you uh, related to an experience people would at least be able to you know relate to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like being on a high mountain. Uh, then you offer something in more direct terms, uh, um, although the terms you use may take them by surprise. Like, uh, it was exciting. Oh, yeah, I bet it was, but it was also lonely. Oh, I never thought of that. Hmm. Um, and then um, in a third way, uh, you um, looked at something in which they were directly involved, but in, in a totally... Uh, different vantage point than you're talking that uh, you're saying, you know, uh, seeing it up there looking so peaceful.
0: Right. The Earth looked peaceful, but <laughs> The, their experience on the planet is anything but peaceful. Yeah,
1: people from down here go, yeah, might look yeah. that way up there. And I right. think a lot of us have, have actually felt that way. So here's what I'm getting at why this little exercise is all of these approaches that we naturally came to hmm. are actually approaches Jesus used in telling his
0: parables. Hmm. Well, um at least I or Neil Armstrong are speaking of something people have seen. You are
1: buds but <laughs> now.
0: Jesus is speaking of something that extends far beyond us. Mm-hmm. Is there more to those simple parables than meets the eye, perhaps? I,
1: I, I think that's where we're going to find ourselves going as we explore these. Now, here's the thing. As profound as the truth might be, like... Um, what you were sharing from the moon, you know, if you could, or what Jesus is sharing from the kingdom of heaven beyond us—the truths really don't mean anything if we don't grasp the the how and the why of how it's being said.
0: That's interesting. How and why is just as important as what he's saying. Let's start with a few um, dictionary definitions of the word parable. parable sure. Okay. Merriam-Webster says. The meaning of parable is a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Okay. And other definitions say a short, allegorical story designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. And the third one, a statement or comment that conveys a meaning indirectly by the use of comparison, analogy, or or the like.
1: Right. And, and those are all pretty good definitions of parable. But as we explore biblical parables, hmm. um, we may find that all those elements don't always fit. Uh, in some cases, uh, a parable of Jesus may actually be the opposite to those things. So we need some more exploration in this.
0: <laughs> um Well, this episode, we leaned heavily on the work of the Portland-based team, the Bible Project.
1: Bible Project. I'm getting to love those guys. Mm -hmm. They are a really sharp group of individuals. Mm -hmm. Now, um, our research is, uh, we've leaned on them because they've really, I think, some of, uh, dealing with the parables anyway, the most consolidated, uh, concise information dealing with the parables equal to or better than most stuff out there. Now, they borrow from certain scholars, uh, and we're not going to go into all of them, but then we borrow from them who are b- borrowing from the scholars. Right. So, I kind of put it down there, but kudos to all the great work that the uh, Bible Project uh, put in. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll have them linked in on this too on our site.
0: Great. Um, and it's not that they discount traditional views, but they tweak them in a way that brings a clarity and a flow to even the most confusing parables.
1: Yeah, they really do. And And I was thinking a great way to start this is maybe we start with what parables are not. It might tear okay. down some of our Our assumptions are uh, especially set by tradition, not necessarily the Bible. Mm -hmm. And we'll do it in our usual way. We'll take team uh, off of these and I'll have you give a a, a statement. And then in my expert and uh, (laughs) (laughs) there, that's disinformation, but in my best ability, I'll give a brief explanation.
0: Okay, so here we go. First parables are not primarily lessons on morality or theology.
1: And this is a toughie. I mean, uh, you know, I went over this in my head a few times in dealing, and it's it's true. Now, <clears throat> the thing is, we have to concede that. If we're talking something that's teaching you about God or God's ways, well, obviously it's going to have a strong moral content towards, it's going to be theological to the to point we're talking about theos. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have those tones to it. But what we're saying, the real purpose, especially when Jesus spoke a parable, is that there's the surface thing that you you get that first impression, and then there's a whole other agenda. It's different layers of who. Yeah, on that parable. There's something far deeper, broader he's getting at. Uh, And there's always this overriding truth that he's trying to get across. That's the big deal. And as our uh, original definition stated, it's conveyed usually in, uh, well, I would say always in an indirect way.
0: Hmm. Well, that doesn't seem like an efficient way to share the truth, especially if you don't have a lot of time.
1: Right. I mean, and we're looking at Jesus. There. He only had three years. You think he would look for the most efficient way to to present this hard truth that he's giving.
0: Right, so why an indirect approach like
1: this? Yeah, I, I mean, you've got to stop and ask, Jesus, why did you, what we would say today, beat around the bush, mm-hmm. uh, but in fact he wasn't. The indirect approach is, is really for a, a very straightforward reason, is you, you use an indirect way of communicating when people aren't ready for the direct truth. Um. And uh, and they weren't at, at the time that he was speaking.
0: The Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' time had a rigid understanding of religion religion, the Messiah, and how God's plan would unfold. We know that they weren't open to hearing a different point of view, um, even if it was the truth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Even though it was the truth. Now, changing the core views of people, and we're saying core views, those deeply seated ones, Mm -hmm. it's a lot like, to me anyway, the analogy I would see is like steering a gray big ship. Uh, direct communication would be kind of like we want to go in that direction right now. So you slam the rudders in a direction you can imagine on uh, an ocean liner doing that. There would be uh, wreak terrible havoc yes. in, in that situation. Uh, so if an indirect approach would be more um, a, a subtle use of the, the rudders where you're giving time to process and, and make the change in a more organic or natural way.
0: But even so, you say the parables aren't primarily lessons on morality or theology. So explain that.
1: Okay. Um, well, maybe the best explanation is example, right? Mm. So let's just bounce into, uh, for a second, the parable of the sheep. And the goats. And okay. I'm sure you know that one.
0: We find that starting in Matthew 25 31. Oh,
1: you're so smart. You're <laughs> so biblically literate. Oh, yes. And what does it say?
0: Well, as it goes, the Son of Man separates people like sheep and goats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sheep are people who exercise compassion for the least of humanity mm-hmm. and through that show compassion for Jesus himself.
1: Right. So you've got the sheep and goats. As mm-hmm. the parable goes, the uh, goats, um, the sheep are the, are the good guys and the goats. Are <laughs> the bad guys, mm-hmm. and they end up uh, um, not working out so well, right? So, right.
0: The sheep are welcomed into eternal life, and the goats go away into eternal punishment.
1: <laughs> now, <clears throat> if you look at the parable as, this is where we're talking, if you look at this as a general theological lesson, mm-hmm. where we would have to go, what we'd have to conclude from this is, it's teaching us how a person is saved. Uh, mm-hmm. You're saved by being a sheep, Uh, you're not saved by being a goat.
0: As in, care for people, you receive eternal life. Don't care, go into eternal punishment. But you're saying that's not what Jesus is teaching.
1: I am saying, I will go down on record (laughs) on the internet, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, Because, and this is why, if it were true, Hmm. uh, it would put us in conflict with other scripture. For example, Hmm. imagine thinking that way, and then you read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9.
0: Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast.
1: So, I mean, if we yeah, look. Yeah, that if,
0: seems like it.
1: It'd be in conflict, it's, wouldn't mm-hmm, it? Because mm-hmm. there you go. You either have works and your efforts through compassion and then, you know, and you get on God's good side or. It's by grace, it's solely, and it makes that point solely a gift of God's. Mm -hmm. And it's that way because your works have nothing to do with your salvation,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: lest anyone should
0: boast. Scripture never conflicts with Scripture. So what exactly is Jesus teaching in this parable?
1: Okay, as we go back and we look at it, um, you really have to step back. Parables are big picture type things, Mm -hmm. uh, but after a singular truth. Um, And in this case, as we look at the parable of the sheep in the clusters, if we were to go ahead and behind it, we'd find out that it sits in a a cluster of other parables. Hmm. And all of the parables are teaching um, about how the coming of God's kingdom is different than what people expect, what the judgment will be like, which is not the values that people are normally thinking. And so you have this cluster of parables, each one building on the other
0: so looking at the big picture of matthew 25 we have mm-hmm. parable of the ten virgins right highlighting a distinction between the maids who do and don't have their lamps ready when the bridegroom comes
1: right some of them weren't very bright
0: <laughs> a, a, there's a dad
1: pun sorry
0: um the second one the parable of the talents with a distinction between those who invested and one who didn't right and then finally the sheep and the goats with a distinction between those who show and don't show compassion
1: Yeah. uh, And if you look at them, every one of these parables have two categories, if you will, of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, In each case, those categories are illustrated by their actions. They're proven out by their actions, if you will. But if you read them carefully, you'll notice that in every case, the action is simply a product of who the person is or who the people are. Mm -hmm. You have foolish and wise maids okay. you have productive or lazy servants mm-hmm. you have um, now the sheep and the goats even there uh, we have to think a little bit Hebrew but in the Hebrew culture uh, sheep were considered very precious animals okay. Goats, not, not so, so much. much. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Right. So it sounds like a Matthew 7 thing where Jesus tells us by their fruits you'll know them.
1: Yeah, by their fruits. And we understand that fruits, in in, in that case, as Jesus uses, is the outcome of what the people are. That's uh, As a matter of fact, which takes us into another parable there. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the truth that Jesus is driving home. There are two types of people in the world, you know uh the wise the productive the the precious ones uh uh in the family of god mm-hmm. they, and because they are those things they act like god uh they're they're obeying god because by law and the nature of their hearts they're like god mm-hmm. uh and ultimately then their destiny is with god they end up in the kingdom forever While the others in these categories are not like God, they end up doing things that uh, eventually they end up in an opposite destiny. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's all about the nature of the individuals.
0: And the lesson isn't on salvation, the story of the sheep and the goats drives home the big truth on which the plan of salvation rests. right?
1: Right, like before we ever talk about how people are saved, Here's the situation in the world. Mm-hmm. Here's the situation of God's kingdom. He, and here's where humanity lies. Now we have a context to build the plan of salvation. That's what the parable here is all about. And in all cases, these overriding foundational principles, that's the kind of things that parables do.
0: Hmm. And that's an important distinction. Parables are illustrations of the big truth right. on which all biblical truth rests. Yeah. So, Okay, let's move on to another not on the list. Okay. okay? Parables are not a new invention of Jesus.
1: Yeah, and and mm-hmm. I don't know if there's maybe those out there going, <gasps> they're not! <laughs> uh, and maybe people say, well, yeah, so we know that, but it's important to note um, parables were one of the main uh, venues, pipelines of communication of the prophets. So Jesus is speaking more like a prophet when he uses parables. Mm-hmm. And they go back thousands of years in speaking in that way.
0: How about giving us an, uh, an example?
1: Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I will turn that around and have you give us an example. And I'll do that <laughs> by asking you to uh, read something that it, just to prove the point, seven centuries before Christ, you're reading from Isaiah here.
0: Okay, Isaiah 5 three through, through 6. Hmm. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please tell me, please let me tell you. What I will do in my vineyard, I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I'll lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it.
1: Okay. Uh, now, let's move ahead 700 years and have you read a parable of Jesus.
0: Okay. Mark 12, 1 through 8. Then he began to speak to them in parables a man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to vinedressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers, And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. And at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore still, having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine-dressers said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard.
1: Okay, we see, you know, there's a lot we could go into what the parables are actually saying, but mm-hmm. we're talking here, the point is they're the same language, they're the same mental picture, mm-hmm. they're the same approach to something. Uh, in Isaiah, the object is the vine. Right. Uh, and in Christ's parable, he's addressing those who care for the vine. The vine dressers, yeah. But both are replying to a very particular overriding truth uh, in the time of, of what they're saying. So mm-hmm. let's start with, okay, what's Isaiah responding to? What's, what's his thing?
0: Okay, in his words, Isaiah 5, 4, What more could have been done in my vineyard that I have not done in it? Isaiah 5, 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help.
1: Okay, and just um, just pointing out something in this too we're mm-hmm. talking collectively of <coughs> excuse me, all of Judea mm-hmm. um, so he's talking collectively of the nation and he's actually it's a play on words if we were to read them in Hebrew, we'd see how, but the idea of this is what's coming from them so. He's addressing a problem with the population as a whole. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward to uh, Jesus' time and see what he's dealing with.
0: Okay, the scene begins with Mark eleven twenty-seven and 28. Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And concludes with Mark twelve nine through 11, Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes.
1: Right, and it's amazing. Not only um, do we see the same language and the same technique, Jesus is also going back and and scripturally relating to uh, where uh, Isaiah is coming from. Mm. So we we have this situation. Here's the strategy. There, there's a a mental picture that is familiar to those listening. Mm. Everybody knew a vineyard. Everybody knew what was involved in you know making the wine and stuff. Mm-hmm. So th- both of them, Jesus and Isaiah, they walk them through. a a very logical scenario a bad vine Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 dressers who are vine dressers who are rebellious he walks them through a story and then it takes them to the point that they end up with a question all of this happened what do you expect to be done what do you think god's going to do in this situation Mm -hmm. and in the difference of it is for Isaiah, he's addressing, like we said, collectively all of all of Judah in there, mm-hmm. leading house of Israel, right, mm-hmm. and the house of Israel, and, and and he's saying, okay, here it is. What do you think God is going to do with this situation? Mm-hmm. Understanding it from the point of the vine, and and so by the time they've walked through the story, I mean they're owning it. They they know what God will do, and they'll know why God will do it mm-hmm. if that analogy fits. With Jesus, he's not. He's not addressing, and we'd see that if we went back further in the chapters, he's not addressing all of Israel in this case, he's addressing those who are leading Israel, the spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. And so in his story, he's, he's talking about the people who dress the vines, not the vines themselves. But to the same question is, if this is what you guys are doing, what do you expect to happen? And so just like in Isaiah's time, the proverb walks them through a scenario, and then they know the what and the why of how God is going to respond. Hmm. That's what it's all about.
0: Okay, so we covered some knots. Mm -hmm. Parables are not morality or theology lessons, but something broader. Right. They are not a new invention but are actually a genre of teaching that goes back thousands of years in Hebrew culture. Yes. Okay, let's move on to what they are.
1: Yes, what they are. Now, obviously, um, we've, we've gleaned this much. They're more than what you see on the surface. Right. But how about telling us, uh, and here's where we shamelessly borrow from our brethren at the, the Bible Project, mm-hmm. telling us some of the themes of what uh, parables really are.
0: Okay, we're putting uh, material from the Bible project in our own words. Uh, At least
1: we've done that, right? Right.
0: So (laughs) here are three themes Jesus follows in his parables. He illustrates, number one, the unexpected arrival and or nature of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Number two, the values of God, turning the values of the world upside down Mm -hmm. in such things as forgiveness, wealth, or human value. Mm -hmm. And number three, what are called crisis parables, which use one, two, or three characters to draw us in and lead us to a decision.
1: Um, and this is interesting. Just throwing this aside, mm-hmm. if we look at the parables in, in chronological order, it, we're, we'll see he's using them as he's approaching Jerusalem uh, and huh, yeah. and approaching the end, of course. Mm-hmm. And they become more and more pointed as mm-hmm. we go along, less and less indirect, if you will, and they tend to move from the one character to the three character type. Mm. Uh, he's really starting to lay it on there at the end. So now I know that even all of this is a lot to process. We've kind of deluged people now. <laughs> do I say that different than you? You would say? No. You would say deluged. I'd mm. say deluged, right? Deluge, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I,
0: deluge, I think, is right. <laughs> okay.
1: I know. You're more sophisticated. That's all I know. So anyway, we laid them out, a uh, whole lot of information here. So let's see if we can streamline a little bit um, um, how this all works out.
0: Okay, as much as possible. As, yeah. I think we can get the first one. Jesus starts a number of parables with the kingdom of heaven is like. Mm-hmm. So it's safe to understand this theme is revealing what God's kingdom is like. Okay. And there's a running theme of people Taken by surprise by the king, master, or bridegroom's arrival. Right,
1: right, right. So you know that kind of both of those actually deal with that first theme. It's unexpected, but this is the nature of God's kingdom. This is how it comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll find the same when He starts talking in values that all of a sudden they're they're kind of uh, uh, backwards. So we're right in dealing with that. And, and as far as what you read, um, like we said, it deals with both the first coming, as in the kingdom is here and you don't even see it. And this is what it will be like when yet to come.
0: So. Right. Then there's the theme of values being upside down, like the right. parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. The question that got that story going was, who's my neighbor? Right. <laughs> and, of course, the answer is... Someone who culture saw no value in at all.
1: Yeah, who uh, the culture of those listening saw no mm-hmm. value at all for sure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he's talking to Jewish scribes at the time, and this question was brought up. So, what does he do? He m- engineers a story <laughs> where it's a Samaritan of all people. Oh, <laughs> coming even off your lips, a uh, Samaritan. <laughs> And um, he the, he takes the story in such a way, but even to the end, the scribe can't say Samaritan. He has to say the one who showed mercy. <laughs> but uh, it was obvious where this this was going. The overriding truth was a value that they didn't have of human beings.
0: So the objective of, of those themes are fairly straightforward. Right. But- how about the crisis parable?
1: Yeah, and, and a lot of this comes down to how we understand the word today, which is not the original meaning. Yeah. When we think crisis, we think of... emergency. Uh, yeah, yeah, an emergency. There's a tragedy, and now we're facing it. But the, mm. the Latin word crisis, spelled with a K, uh, meant this. It meant a separating. It meant the power of distinguishing um, hmm. to make a decision. Uh, choice, election, or judgment. And like the Romans did, they borrowed a lot from the Greeks. The Greeks' original term, krino, meant to pick out, to choose, or mm-hmm. to decide.
0: Huh. So crisis has more to do with a moment of decision rather than panicking and emergency.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, um, that's the meaning of the word there. Yeah. Uh, and that actually takes us into the last item, which is you mentioned before the genre, another word we tend to say differently sometimes. I say tomato, you say tomato, or <laughs> how it goes. Um, and the genre of scripture called wisdom literature.
0: Uh, and when you say wisdom literature, I think of a category of Old Testament books. But yes. You're saying the parables of Jesus are also wisdom literature?
1: Yeah, yeah, they and sometimes referred to as the wisdom literature of the New Testament. But they are wisdom literature in every aspect of the way and the thing is about wisdom literature is that it is completely opposite to the way we tend to learn in our culture today
0: the word often used in modern learning is didactic
1: right and the whole didactic learning Mm. um and it's really our thing you know we we're big on we'll set up a structure a streamlining uh, a teaching authority uh, and then and then we get it real quick. We want a data dump is what we're looking for. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, all you have to do is look at tutorials um, online. You know, what, what who you hasn't mean?
0: learned something from YouTube, right?
1: <laughs> right. And, and usually it's always in the same way. You can tell even by the views. Uh, it'll be something that's in a form of just the facts. And it'll be a list that's bang, 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 like, five steps on how to groom your cat
0: (laughs) or a list of best best product reviews i do that all All the the time time. or how to do this or that or all put into those bullet points like you were saying by an authority that you can trust
1: yeah (laughs) yeah and we say that tongue-in-cheek uh because there's a lot of authorities out there but you look for somebody who looks like they know what they're talking about great give me data dump just give me the information yeah um uh, I want it right now. I need an answer right now. So it's like the old dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. Right.
0: So, so wisdom <clears> literature <throat> is really <throat> the opposite of how we learn today then.
1: Yeah, it really is. Because wisdom literature, as opposed to being uh, completely direct factual, is indirect experiential.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: with experience, we, we know how experience works, Is even though we're so bad at it, is uh, when you have an experience, then it takes time to go through the mental processing of the experience. And mental processing takes time. So in wisdom literature, you you walk through this storyline, this process. It's the idea of not knowing the, the end from the beginning. Uh, you walk in the steps or the sandals of the character who who is in there. Then you reflect on the character. And then at some point you hit that crisis moment or that moment Mm -hmm. of decision where I say, ah, so this is what it means.
0: So it may not seem an efficient way to get a truth across, but there are two big pluses for wisdom literature. Yeah,
1: Old or New Testament.
0: One, when a person comes to their own conclusion, they tend to really stick to it. It's deeper than just being told. Right. And two stories have a way of sticking, which means the conclusion will stick.
1: Exactly. And that's really the point of parables. The idea Mm -hmm. of any parable is to draw a listener to a deeper, particular, overriding truth and then have that truth stick.
0: All right, okay, before we go, how about a few tips then on how to read parables so that we get everything that they're saying.
1: Yeah, and as much as that is kind of a fire hose of information, um, (coughs) we can offer some practical implication. And for the sake of time, I will try to do it in a didactic form (laughs) uh, with a few bulletin points on wisdom literature. And if the irony doesn't strike you, I don't know when it would. (laughs) So here we go in that way. And uh, the first thing in these bullet points, if we will say, is note the context of the parable. Who is speaking? why they're speaking, to whom are they speaking, and what's the situation in which they're speaking. And that will take us uh, into verses before the parable and usually even verses after the parable. uh, It'll set up the context for why this is going on at all. And then usually at the end, it'll confirm that overriding point and maybe uh, solidify the, um, the context for us as well.
0: And second, we have reflect on the main characters. Mm-hmm. What are they doing and why? Who are they in the story? The good guy, the bad guy, or perhaps even the authority figure.
1: Right. You, you end up looking at each character and, and discerning from there. Uh, and then thirdly, we look under the surface. What's mm-hmm. uh, We discern the big overriding point that's going on. And often the scene is simply window dressing to make the story more compelling. So we'll relate. Uh, So what that means is it's important as you're discerning the big point not to overanalyze every little symbol you see in there. Mm -hmm. Stay anchored to the main point.
0: Right. Once again, we realize this is a lot of information. It might be worthwhile to pick up a manuscript and read through it. And a quick way to find the manuscript, video, or podcast is to visit our page, org slash media.
1: So uh, we'll leave you with a very moving a cappella piece uh, the Canaan Praise Team did this week called Draw Me Lord. It was a reflection sh- song during our communion last week. So here it is.
0: So enjoy and God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Word for the Week at CanaanCommunity.org. You can also catch our live stream on Canaan Community's Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.